0: This is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to the What's Next podcast, where I have the pleasure of welcoming Rob Siegel to the show today. He is a lecturer in management at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. He's a venture investor, venture investor and an inventor. Say that three times fast. He is a venture investor and an inventor. There we go. All right. At the Stanford Graduate (laughs) School of Business, he teaches a number of studies, including the Industrialist Dilemma, Systems Leadership, Strategies of Effective Product Management, and Strategic Management of Technology and Innovation. He is also a general partner at XSEED Capital and venture partner at PIVA. He is the author of The Brains and Brawn Company, which we're going to talk about today. And he is also the co-inventor of four patents and served as the lead researcher for Andy Grove's best-selling book, Only the Paranoids Survive. Welcome to the show, Steve.
1: I'm Rob, actually. Do you want to say welcome to the show, Rob, and re-say that? No, I want to say
0: welcome to the show, Steve.
1: <laughs> well, I'm Steven Seagal. We get confused all the time when oh, I'm walking shit. down the street.
0: That's people, what I did wrong.
1: People are oh my God, Steven? No, just Rob, his short, nebbishy little brother.
0: All right. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Rob.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Tiffany. It's great to be here. <laughs> you call me another man's name. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> but- Rob is worth, I hope you're all laughing listening to this because we're having a ball. And so you're all along for the ride.
1: I'm just glad they weren't like listening when we were starting the prep. I mean, that that saved us both. <laughs>
0: there you go. Well, Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tiffany. It's great to be here. Well, listen, before we get started to have a little more fun than we're already having, I'm going to start with bullish and bearish. Three okay. quick questions. Bullish, you're for it bearish you're against it are you ready
1: i'm ready let's go
0: all right the first one immersive experiences bearish oh not what i expected you to say all right next ai inventors bullish okay all right third one soft skills
1: oh very bullish
0: Okay, good. All right, so let's start with immersive experiences because that's actually not what I expected you to stay. You know, like uh, I saw something in your Twitter feed, right? Uh That you loved this not virtual reality, immersive experience being interesting. (laughs) So why bearish on it?
1: Because I think the hype cycle is way ahead of this. And because I'm an old piece of shit, I've seen this before. (laughs) So bear with me for a second. Neil Stevenson wrote Snow Crash in 1992 right so the whole notion of the metaverse and everything else was something that's been with us for three decades and you know i remember investing in companies when i was at intel in the mid 90s that were doing virtual worlds and as things have evolved and we've gotten to this you know notion of headsets and everything else jeremy baylison at stanford taught his first class in virtual reality they could only wear it for 30 minutes because the students were throwing up and getting sick all right so there's this whole kind of dynamic of what this thing's going to be i watch what zuck is talking about with facebook and nobody wants this like we are a social species. And so it'll be nice for little entertainment things here and there, but we are so far away from everybody wearing headsets all the time. The hype is way ahead of the curve. And so therefore I'm bearish because I just think this is right now, there's a lot of marketing BS going on out there. People are trying to sound smart and sound like they're ahead of the curve. And this is going to take a long, long time for any sort of instantiation to work. And it will be short little snippets, It'll be little things that'll happen here and there, but it's not going to be everybody just sits inside all day wearing a headset so there
0: and and I have to <laughs> say i you know i i I actually agree with you and and I think first of all, like virtual reality for me anyway, I remember I was at universal Studios it was a long time ago, and I got on the back to the future ride. And, you know, you're in the car, right? You're in the DeLorean, <laughs> yep. right? They put you in the DeLorean and all of a sudden, you know, you're flying through the city and I just want to throw up. So I opened the door to get out. <laughs> so <laughs> I open the door to get out, not realizing I was three feet off the ground.
1: <laughs> totally
0: yeah. ate it. And I mean, like, thankfully I didn't hurt myself, but, you know, I was like, get me off this ride. So virtual reality for me is I wish I could actually... Have it because there are some things that I've seen use cases where things like diversity and inclusion. I, I did something uh, a number of years back where you know I was uh, walking down the street as a person of color, and what would yep. happen in the middle of the night when I was walking down the street, people were walking their dogs, and so that quote unquote, experience mm-hmm. um, was very different than a ride, obviously. But I, I I enjoyed the way in which my brain could learn different things.
1: Right, I, I remember giving my children when they were teenagers, um, the Google Cardboard and putting my phone inside and there was this great app that allowed you to fly through the universe and see what the planets were like. And I remember just watching the reaction of my children, like being so totally amazed to see this. Um, and and like they just, their, their, their enthusiasm and the energy that they were getting from seeing what it was like to fly and see Jupiter and see Saturn. Now it was a three minute or four minute experience. And so for that regards, you know, you could see those things are your experience of walking down the street put you in a setting that you might not otherwise see. And so I think limited snippets of it can in fact be quite neat and quite effective, but the hype that we're reading about today, Oh my God, give me a break. If I have to watch that damn Facebook commercial one more time, you know, with, you know, the painting coming to life of the tiger eating the bull, you know, the Buffalo, it's like enough already. How many, how many times do we have to watch that damn commercial? It's just, I'm so sick of the hype.
0: Well, that leads, that's a perfect lead in to the brains and brawn company because The premise of it is this sort of how leading organizations blend the best of digital and physical in a way that is material, right? I mean, I think this is all about um, how you can use digital in certain situations and scenarios and how you can use analog, if you will, in other situations. Maybe you can give a high level of, of sort of brains and brawn, first of all, what led you to it. And then maybe a little bit about it.
1: So of the six courses I teach at the GSB, two of them kind of shape the foundation of brains and brawn. The Industrialist Dilemma, which I co-teach with Max Wessel, who's the chief learning officer at SAP. But we also used to teach it with Aaron Levy, the CEO of Box, and Systems Leadership, which I co-teach with my old boss, Jeff Immelt, the former CEO of GE. And the notion when we started Industrialist Dilemma seven years ago was we believe that technology was going and technology companies were going into a lot of traditional businesses that previously they didn't. As every product and service became connected, we realized that you had to fundamentally change how you develop products. You had to change how you organized your company. And we, the, our thesis was that a lot of the premises coming out of Silicon Valley would completely upend a lot of these well-established companies in mobility and healthcare and financial services in education, you know, choose your vertical. And we were wrong okay, we were just fundamentally wrong. We realized that the best companies were combining the best of digital and physical. And one of our key takeaways was was that incumbents were not doomed and disruptors are not ordained. And so kind of the mindset was like the best companies were blending the best of both. They were using data. They were using analytics. They were using connectivity in ways to be creative and talk to their customers more. But we also found the best disruptors understood manufacturing understood logistics and supply chains. And the winners were blending the best of both. And so that's the thesis behind the book and the Brains and Brawn company.
0: Yeah, and, and I and I would tell you that, you know, prior to joining Salesforce, I was a research fellow at Gartner for a decade. And, and what always worried me about the conversations of the pivoting to digital, and I love the fact that you used the uh, hype cycle, so thanks on that, was um, it was almost an only one or the other. It was like, it was very hard to get people to go. This is an and play. This is right. not an either or play. It's an and play and and I believe personally that the power lies in the and not yeah. the or.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what's different and that's where leadership is going to need to change on a go forward basis. You know, for a couple of decades at Stanford, we've been graduating a lot of CS students and people who want to sit behind keyboards and screens and they've forgotten how to get their fingernails dirty. You know, in my systems yeah. leadership class, we always do one class on manufacturing every year. And we'll ask the students, how many of you basically know what a CNC machine is? And like, we're shocked how many hands don't go up. And then we'll ask questions like, you know, how many of you can walk into a factory and know by sound whether or not things are running smoothly or not? And and you know, we can't be divorced From these issues of, you know, how you're going to make something and then because the products are going to have a connective component to them. And so you have to understand how digital and physical are blended in the inside of the product, what the customer experience is like, and even where you make it and geopolitical forces shape where we're going to be making things, as well as new technologies like out of manufacturing, where you might actually put the factory at your customer site as opposed to making it somewhere else. And so I think that these are the things that are going to be shaping business and leadership over the next couple of decades.
0: Well, I feel like, you know, when people ask me, what do I think about what's happened in the last, you know, 20, 24 months, right? With the pandemic globally, everything that's happened on the supply chain and which I know I'm sure you have a ton of input and insights into and opinions, I'm going to guess. But what for me, the biggest thing was twofold. One was... It showed the glaring lack of investment that has been made over decades in that infrastructure layer, especially around logistics and supply chain. Which I think you have a comment out there that you think that everything has to do with logistics, um, which (laughs) I'd love your opinion on that after I tell you the other half, because I don't agree, but that's going to be a good one. All right. On the other side of the coin, how quickly some companies just like buckled down and made the investment. And, you know, the stats of, you know, more. Digital transformation we've seen in the last six months than we'd seen in the last decade, you know, all of those things. Um, what do you think those learnings were across the last two years, <clears throat> as it relates to this conversation we're having, right, about the business and analog and digital and physical?
1: So I think the pandemic accelerated a lot of the trends that were already happening. And what we saw is the companies that had been investing in both digital and physical really pulled away. So in terms of logistics, I, I, if I said one time logistics or everything, I didn't mean that it's everything. That's part of the and. I think what has happened is logistics have been outsourced or ignored. And if you look at the companies who did really well during the pandemic, they were really good at logistics and they had to be. And so one of the things that, you know, the the metaphor, the brain, there are five attributes of the brain and for brawn, you know, five physical attributes. The one I use for brawn is on logistics is the spine, which is how do you make everything kind of, you know, you get messages and things from point A to point B. And we looked at retail and we looked at three retailers, you know, Target, Home Depot and Best Buy and these were companies that had very very specific strategies for how they combine digital and physical and logistics was a key part of it. And I think one of the things that's different in the past than in the past, logistics was always a back office thing in the past. Logistics now touches both the front end and the back end. If you want to know something is in stock, if you want to have products delivered, you know, you've got to know inventory levels and be able to convey that to your customer so that she or he can know if they're going to be able to buy the product on that day or within the next hour. And it's It's true for a company like Instacart. It's true for a company like Target. You know, think about every type of time that you've wanted to buy something online. And maybe like if you're Home Depot, a kitchen sink does not ship well through Amazon Prime. That's good for Home Depot. But you want to know if it's going to be able to be in stock or if you can pick it up in three hours. And so that's that combination of digital and physical and where logistics is kind of the glue that holds everything together in the same way that our spine is what allows us as humans to be able to allow our bodies to work properly
0: fair enough and and that was the comment was the spine and i think as you've just described it uh, now i agree right because i think that <laughs> I, I felt like i felt like when i read it i was like okay for me it has to start with the people but i get your use case in saying you know that that of the business if you can't get it in and out but you also have some businesses especially on the small and mid-size end where mm-hmm. they don't have that logistics capabilities and You know, they've had to outsource it and then they outsourced it with a partner who was caught flat footed, you know, during the last 20 or 24 months and changing logistics and changing Mm -hmm. supply chain in the midst of a complete crisis was probably very difficult. What, what, What did you see?
1: Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that, you know, you talk about people and one of the digital attributes, you know, the brainy attributes that I actually refer to is empathy. The amygdala is what controls our ability to empathize with others. And it's kind of an overused term in, in the business nomenclature today. But, you know, the ability to understand... What your employees are going through, to understand what your customers are going through, to understand what your suppliers are going through, that's really an important attribute and characteristics of a great leader. And so I think that you know your point about it, it starts with people. I strongly agree with. Um, the other key thing that happens is the importance of partnering. And so you talk about this if you, you because no company can do all the ten things that we identify in the brains and broad framework. There are some things you're going to have to partner with others. 23andMe, the DNA uh, sequencing company that Ann Wojcicki founded, you know, she they're developing drugs in partnership with GSK, GlaxoSmithKline, the British pharmaceutical company. Ann did not want to do the manufacturing and distribution. And so she had to figure out where to be partnering with a key person. And so to your point, every company is going to need to be figuring these things out. And I think that's one of the big differences in the past. You know, large multinationals in the past had to cross borders. But now with everything being connected, I mean, I've got a face for podcasts and I've become a television star with teaching, right? You know, and my, you know, at home, I've got basically a television studio and, and the number of screens I have. And, you know, I'm teaching people sometimes in Oman, um, South Korea, Kuala Lumpur and at Stanford. And that's on the same day. Right. And so I think, you know, people and individuals, whether they're in large companies or it's an individual, you know, who's hung out a shingle and running her or his own company and organization, needs to understand where you're going to be partnering, where you, how you're going to be able to relate to people across boundaries and borders. And also, how do you make sure logistics works smoothly for the people with whom you do business?
0: I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Growth IQ. And one of the case studies I used in there was an exact example of what you just said. And for better or for worse, I chose it very specifically, but I picked Kylie Jenner. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, how quick, it doesn't matter. We can argue, is she 200 million, 600 million, a billion, like argue all you want. She's mm-hmm. not making a dollar. <laughs> <She's> <laughs> make it more than a buck. And make it more than you and I combined. Okay, yeah, so let's yeah. just start there. So at the time it was like, let's call it 600 million at the time. And that mm-hmm. was self-reported. So since then, I think it's, you know, a billion two from a, from a you know what it's worth perspective, but the example was, did she follow in the footsteps of L'Oreal or Mac or anybody mm-hmm. else and create labs and create it all on her own and then set up distribution and supply okay. chain and oh did she do that? Nope, she didn't. She used what she had, which was you know 300 million people following her. She used the platform of what was her competitive differentiation. She partnered. And got to a half a billion, once again, whatever number you feel comfortable uh, uh, believing, Mm -hmm. with 15 employees. Right. With 15 employees. And I think
1: that's what's kind of exciting. Like, you know, I, I, I tend to be an optimist. That's one of the things, especially if you're in the heart of Silicon Valley, you see the art of the possible. And when you hang around young people like I get to do, right, you know, it's pretty awesome because they are not constrained by the past. And so you look at how these new technologies and capabilities are going to allow people to do things that you and I couldn't do, right? You and I are of similar ages. We've had awesome careers. It's been great. It's been wonderful. It's going to be even better for the people who come after us because I think they're going to be able to touch parts of the world and touch people in ways that were so much harder for us when we were in the formative stages of our careers. And so I think this ability to blend digital and physical is an exciting opportunity, but people have to choose to want to seize it. Otherwise, your competitors will.
0: Well, when you sort of highlight that, I think one of the big challenges today is this crisis of prioritization. And I'm going to steal that phrase. It's not mine. It's Jeffrey Moore's. Mm-hmm. Um, that the And he wrote uh, Crossing the Chasm, if you don't know who he is, and he wrote the forward to my book, but crisis of prioritization and sort of sometimes, these are your words, this apparent contradiction, right? Of where do I focus? Where am I going to get the greatest acceleration, the multiplier? Where am mm-hmm. I going to get the greatest advantage? And I think that crisis of prioritization is is sometimes, sometimes better served with the experience behind you because you can go, okay, I have a little bit of understanding of if I do this and it's not that I can quickly pivot to here where if you have no basis of understanding, you might get paralyzed at that point of decision, right? And what do you say to leaders, people who are listening where they feel like, yes, like I'm trying to move more digital or I'm trying to hang on to a little bit of physical, but how do I navigate this prioritization and contradiction?
1: So I love the hat tip to Jeff. You know, he's been a, a somebody I've looked up to for decades. I used to have a picture he drew for me on the wall pinned in my old cubicle at my at one of the semiconductors I worked with, which was just like this little scrap of paper that he said, no, it's kind of like this. I'm like, oh my God, that's genius. And I put it up there and had it up there for 15 years. Um, you know, If we go back to 1970, Alvin Toffler coined the phrase in- the phrase information overload uh, when he wrote Future Shock, Um, which by the way, is a totally underappreciated book for its ability to forecast the future. And the thing about the speed with which things are going, we end up dealing with the tyranny of the urgent as opposed to the important. And the tyranny of the urgent is what gets in the way of us focusing on what matters. And I think great leaders have to know what are the variables with the largest coefficients? What are the things, you know, how do you figure out what to prioritize? And also what balls are you going to drop? Because you can't do everything. So you've got to do what's important. One of the things that we found was great systems leaders had the ability to simultaneously see the big picture, but also know how to manage and execute to the near term. And I think like, you know, when I, when I like, for example, went to Intel, when I finished my master's work, you know, you had kind of the crazy people, you know, on one side who did this, and then you had the people who ran the business and made all the money, you know, kind of the innovation group and the operations group. And I don't think you can do that anymore. I think right now people have to be good at doing both. You need to know how to manage innovation, but you need to know how to kind of, you know, hit your numbers and execute because the the speed with which things are moving and great leaders are going to be able to do both. And that comes to understanding prioritization and focusing on what matters and don't try to do everything. If you try to do everything, you're going to end up doing a lot of things poorly as opposed to a few things well. And guess what? Sometimes you're going to be wrong. Okay. None of us are perfect you get used to it. But damn it, make a decision through action as opposed to inaction.
0: Well, something you just said there, you know, I, I think I, often you can ask a leader, are you a hundred percent correct? <laughs> I hope they're, you know self-aware enough to say, well, absolutely not, right? But then they expect everyone else is going to be a hundred percent correct because it's set up in that measurement, management, metric, kind of world of failure is not an option especially on the innovation side yet that's absolutely where you need to have the most failure
1: (laughs) well and you do have the most failure in fact and that's part of the challenge especially in large organizations you know it's like failure is not an option and then though you'll get to the other extreme oh we celebrate failure nobody celebrates failure losing sucks but the question is what did you learn from the failure and do you make sure next time you make a different mistake and not the mistake you made last time And so like, that's the whole thing, the way you got to go through things. But look at venture capital as a proxy for this. Every venture fund from Sequoia on down has the same distribution of returns. Six of every 10 investments, you lose all your money. Three of every 10 investments, you make one to five X. And you need the 10th investment to be Godzilla, where you need a 20 X return to cover for the first nine. And the difference between Sequoia and everybody else is they have more Godzillas. But remember, they strike out six of every 10 times. And so when it's innovation, when it's messy and there's high risk, you're going to have high failures. Okay. The trick is not to throw too much money at something too quickly. You know, you, you, you know, you try, you experiment, you see what works and then you keep going. And by the way, if it's not working, call the ball that it's not working and shut it down and go do something else.
0: And I think you have to give permission for failure, right? And set Mm -hmm. up the systems and you know, you have that quote unquote psychological safety of, if I fail at this, I'm not going to lose my job and I'm not going to be ridiculed right. or humiliated that I'll be celebrated, celebrated in a celebration. What did we learn kind of way? Right. Not right. celebrated like you failed. Right. But oh celebrated big, in a big
1: smoking crater and dead bodies in the sauce and let's have a cake. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> That's not the right way Wow. Smoking, bo- smoking crater, dead bodies. what did we learn? <laughs>
0: Right, what we learn, what we learn, and and I think that this is where um, I find. You know, we were talking about this before we started recording. Like, I don't have my MBA. I'm not an academic in that way. I'm sort of a practitioner who's sort of mm-hmm. failed a lot, figured stuff out, um, but then I go back and you know speak at colleges and you know the Whartons of the USC's of the world uh, and you know, try to poison the mind of the next generation, right? (laughs) Not be like, this is really how it happens, right? Um, And what do you think for people, especially right now, there's this conversation around, I have to reskill. I have to retool. As we get more digital, I'm not very versed. You know, I'm really successful in an analog world. I might be in the middle or in the, you know, last half of my working career, Um, Because if you're early in your working career, you're already so comfortable with digital. That's probably not your challenge. Your challenge is how do you work in analog? (laughs) Right. So Mm -hmm. it's varying degrees of that. And we have five generations working in the workforce right now. But if you're talking to somebody who is less comfortable with this, more the fusion between physical and digital worlds, what would you say to them?
1: You know, people say change is great the truth of it is Tiffany, humans hate change. We do like, you know, and especially people who've been successful, they got, they were successful and and rewarded for doing things a certain way. And then all of a sudden the world changes on you. And the thing that I say to my students and I say to the companies that I work with is you're going to have to mulch your skin as an individual, probably every decade or so, because technology changes and customers needs change. And so if you're playing yesterday's playbook, you're going to die. Now that's a choice that a human makes, like a human makes a decision to not keep his or her skills constant, but the, and that never ends. And so the kind of, I think one of the mindsets we have is like, okay, you go to university from 18 to 22, and then you're going to work 40 years and retire or whatever is the case may be. That's not life. Life is about constantly reeducating ourselves. And so like, one of the things I like to ask people of our generation is, do you have TikTok on your phone? And it's like, and if you don't, why not? And if not, you don't want to put it on your phone because you're afraid about the Chinese government getting all your data. Fine, they have it anyways. But okay, have you looked at it on somebody else's phone? Have you played with it? Have you, have you kept that kind of curiosity mindset towards things? So the first thing I say is you know, reinventing yourself is something that's kind of a necessity for life. The second is most of us are going to retire when we're dead. Right. You know, so, so it's like, why should we, would we stop working at 60 or 70? Maybe you'll work fewer hours. Maybe, you know, you'll have a more comfortable life. But like we as humans are living longer and can have way more time to be productive to society. Uh, And so it's like, why, why would anybody choose to stop learning? Um, If you choose to stop learning, you'll be old and overtaken. And, and, you know, basically the lions will come eat you. Okay. On the other hand, you can stay in shape. You can keep your mind active and all these other things. That's a choice we make as humans. And so just kind of choose, you know, choose to like learn new things or not. That's a choice individuals make.
0: Yeah. And I think, listen, change is hard. And I often say like the fastest way to disrupt your business is disrupt yourself.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You kind of have to do that. Uh, and i and i always say january 1st you're going to you know put that new year's resolution of going to the gym by january 10th you forget what your new year's resolution was right what change is hard individually and as a leader you not only have to change yourself but you have to inspire change in yeah. others and if you have 5 employees 50 500 5000 that's inspiring all this uncomfortableness and change um, in your organization. So so that's the, I'm trying to get more comfortable in kind of this digital fusion. What happens yeah. to, or, uh, you know, what happens to those that are highly digital that are pushing back on physical? Uh,
1: if you're highly digital, you two are going to be disrupted. You might be the young hotshot today, but you won't be in a decade. You know, I, okay, the the Silicon Valley I grew up in of semiconductors and shrink wrap software is long since dead. All right, you know, and 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 so all of these trends of technology continue to reinvent itself. It's like the the present is simply the past over and again now. All right, and so as as if you're only into digital and you're ignoring physical, somebody else is going to figure it out, and you will become marginalized. You may like it, you may not like it, but that is what's going to happen. Great leaders are going to be able to be willing to take the mindset and have the natural curiosity of wanting to learn both, be good at both to make sure they can deliver great products to serve their customers well. And so I, I, I can't help people find that internal motivation. What I can help people do is to say, I know that if you don't find it and don't kind of keep yourself fresh, that I can tell you how the story ends. And so you can either do it because you're excited about it. You can do it because you're afraid of being overtaken. Choose whatever gets you out of bed in the morning that gets you to kind of keep yourself fresh, but keep yourself fresh. And, and you know, it's funny, one class I taught, I had uh, the, one of the presidents of Caterpillar come and I passed around these bags of this kind of brown stuff and I gave it to the students and I said, what is this? And the students couldn't figure out what these these. Bags were, there's some mulch and other stuff. And I'm like, it's dirt. This is I dirt. dirt. I knew the, it was dirt. The, this I'm is, like, this is dirt. what yeah. Caterpillar, like, this is what their yeah. machines are in dirt. Ew. None of you are going to work in dirt. You better figure this stuff out. Cause by the way, all of their stuff is going to be connected soon if it isn't already connected. And the, how you're going to understand digital and physical, it's going to touch everything.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and for that reason, I use John Deere as the example in my uh, in my book, right? That yeah, exactly. Something, right. The IOT of, of sort of what's going on in farming and agriculture. Mm-hmm. But I think more than anything, uh, the takeaway is nothing in life or business is ever simple. Like it's going to be right. challenging. It's going to be more and more difficult. It's going to uncover that we have to learn and unlearn and relearn right. you know, over and over and over again. But that's kind of
1: cool. Like, think about that. I mean, that's kind of neato, like that we can kind of learn new things again and we can like, we don't have to grow old. I mean, yes, our bodies will, will, you know, I don't run as fast as I used to. And sometimes my workouts and my mornings aren't as you know good as they are on other days. But like I can choose whether or not I want to teach myself something new today. That's not a sign of weakness. On the contrary, it's a sign of
0: strength. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, rob slash steve this has been (laughs) such an amazing conversation i like i want to keep going but i want to respect people's times as they're hiking running you know walking uh you know not listening to somebody sitting next to them whatever the case might be as they're listening to this podcast um but i'd love you to impart you know you're a you're a lecturer um you know you see and hear so much of what's going on you know what's coming out of stanford uh you know what is coming into stanford what would you say coming into you know uh leaving 20 24 months of an opportunity where the world experienced something together Mm -hmm. it wasn't a region a race a segment we all experienced it together um what's the what's the one thing you changed during the pandemic and once what's one thing you doubled down on during the pandemic?
1: I think the one thing I changed is I made a conscious decision that I'm going to blow up all of my classes and I'm going to start five new ones. Um, because I don't want to be that person teaching the same classes in the same cases in five to seven years. Um, the, it was the pandemic was unsettling and it was hard and all of those things. And I kind of decided to um, continue to blow everything up. I saw it as a great opportunity to run towards the disruption. I think the one thing I doubled down on is I'm still incredibly optimistic about the future. You know, I know that I live a life that's not normal, right? You know, I teach the brightest men and women from all over the world. I mean, teaching at Stanford is like teaching at the United Nations, the men and women that I get to teach want to do good and they want to do well. And I see what they're driven to do and they see the art of the possible. And so I think the thing that I've doubled down on is I still think that doesn't mean that life is perfect and easy, but I think it is beautiful. And I think that the, the power of people to do great things is only reinforced as I've watched people get through some of this horrible thing that we've been going through together.
0: Well, fair enough. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So let everybody know where uh, who's listening, where they can keep up with you outside of maybe taking a class. Maybe if you do classes uh, outside of those that are actually students, if you do extended learning classes or the book or anything else.
1: Uh, You can, my personal website is robertesiegel.com, S-I-E-G-E-L. Uh, There's information on blog posts and the book, The Brains and Brawn Company. You can find it online on Amazon and and Barnes & Noble and bookstores. And I'm always out there. If anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm on Twitter at Rob Siegel. I answer emails. So uh, if you send me a note, I'll be happy to respond and hope to see people either at Stanford or online. And Tiffany, thank you so much for having me today.
0: Oh, it's been so much fun. Like, I so appreciate you saying yes, uh, you know, and coming and joining the crazy What's Next podcast. But thanks again, Rob, for joining us today. First of all, what a fun conversation talking with Rob, otherwise known as Steve. We had such a great time discussing the brains and brawn company. I hope you got a lot of value out of understanding this fluidity and fusion between the physical and digital worlds and how we as individuals and leaders can help be the stewards of our organizations and our people to embrace this high volume of change that's coming at us every single day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the What's Next podcast. My name is Tiffany Bova. Don't forget to subscribe, share with your friends, leave some comments, and I hope you join me next time. Thanks and have a great rest of your day.